0: Guys, our sponsor for today's show is Patriot Academy, patriotacademy.com. You have heard me talk about this organization, but um, this truly is, for many students, a life-altering event. Um, I cannot tell you how many 16, 17, 18, 20, 25-year-olds that have gone to this leadership program and come out with a, an entirely new direction for their life. You can go to patriotacademy.com to find out where they do these events, but essentially they take these students and they go through a week of being a legislator. They actually debate in the in the Texas House of Representatives, in the uh, Delaware House of Representatives, Idaho House of Representatives. It's an incredible experience. I have been involved with them. I believe in what they do. In fact, if you contact them and tell them that you heard about them through the Luke Messias show, I will contribute toward your uh, fee of actually attending. If you know a student that needs to go, that needs direction for their life, they're going to have an opportunity to learn about worldview, about free market economics, about the values that hold society together, and they're going to have an opportunity to be equipped to be a part of making the change that our community, our state, our nation need. So patriotacademy.com, we're grateful for their willingness to sponsor this podcast, and we also want to encourage each and every one of you to check them out please do so today. Welcome to episode 45 of the Luke Messia show. Um, So last week would have normally been the episode in which we had a discussion with someone. Uh, We actually took... That episode, I decided I made an executive decision to uh, bring to y'all content from The Tragedy of the Trans Child, um, an incredibly well-written story um, from the uh, National Review. And so you can go, if you haven't listened to episode 44, I just really encourage you to go listen to it. It's written by Madeline Kearns, um, probably one of the best articulations regarding not only the younger case, which our show has been in the middle of, but also just um, the tragedy we have going on right now with child abuse in our society and how we're dealing with it. And so please take some time to listen to that. Um, I have a couple different state-based updates, but I wanted to first talk about Dwayne Wade. Um, For those of you who didn't see Dwayne Wade, uh, his wife posted some Instagram photos and those became controversial because his son is seen kind of wearing a crop top and these fake uh, fingernails. And so uh, Dwayne immediately took to social media to defend his family. And he actually wrote, uh, I'll just read it to y'all. He said, I've seen some post Thanksgiving hate on social media about my family photo. Stupidity is a part of this world we live in, so I get it. But here's the thing. I've been chosen to lead my family, not y'all. So we'll continue to be us and support each other with pride, love, and a smile. Um, I don't know if his inclusion of the word pride was insinuation to LGBTQ stuff and whether that also then insinuates that they're encouraging feminine traits in their son or encouraging him to embrace, um, you know, potential gender identity issues. And, and really, we don't know those details, okay? I'm assuming that some of the backlash that Dwayne got was probably not uh, done in the most prudent way, okay? Just because I've seen commenters on Facebook and Twitter on both sides of the aisle. And they're not always the most uh, thoughtful, articulate people. Um, but I will also say that just, it's been really interesting, uh, seeing the media just latch on to this story. I mean, within 24 hours, you know, every major, uh, social socialite publication, uh, magazine had a, a story up, right? USA today and people magazine and everybody else saying, Oh gosh, look at this amazing thing that Dwayne Wade said. Um, but I think it's worth taking a step back just to understand um, and reiterate the fact that, and, and this really goes back to last week's episode, but encouraging the confusion that exists within um, gender dysphoria is a hateful act. It's truly... A hateful act. You're pushing people into a dark and confusing place in which they will not find peace. So there is no pride. There is no love. And there are very few smiles. The deeper and darker you go into the sexual revolution and the moral revolution that has manifested itself in the gender identity movement. And so, um, You know, I don't want to, uh, I'm not attacking Dwayne to simply state that obvious fact, which is that um, he needs to come to grips with his family. And he also needs to understand that as a father, he's been placed there to lead and to guide in love and in truth. It's an interesting concept, love and truth. Um, Our world loves to embrace the first one um, but loves to push aside the second one and love without truth. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a quote and now I'm having to remember off the top of my head while I'm in the middle of recording this. But, um, in fact, I remember it's GK Chesterton and he said, love without truth. Uh, no, no, no. Let me stop. Y'all are like getting my live thoughts here, right here. Okay. Truth without love is mean, but love without truth is meaningless. And I think that's a really important thing to understand when we have, uh, Dwayne, the, during the Dwayne Wade situation or these others, where love will simply be thrown out but love without truth is meaningless. Truly, I've got two Texas stories to bring you. One is the fact that we have these sanctuary county resolutions passing all across the state of Texas, and that is really good news for us. In fact, we've even had some large counties come in recently. Um, Montgomery County, just north of Harris County, there in the Houston area, that's the Woodlands and and such, and then Collin County, which encompasses Plano and Allen and McKinney, um, and some awesome great cities. And so we have. Some some really strong Republican county leaders there that have decided to state um, that their counties are sanctuary counties, which is simply a way of saying that we're not going to participate in the disarming of our citizenry. Um, This has been started by a bunch of small counties, so kudos to all of you. And if you don't think that your local elections are important, just look at the fact that a couple small county commissioners who probably were elected originally with 900 votes decided to pass sanctuary resolutions, which then started a tidal wave. And honestly, I think think it's probably up to dozens across Texas. So thank you to all of those county leaders who are leading on this issue. There's some excellent reporting being done on this by both Aaron Anderson at the Texas Scorecard and Daniel Friend at the Texan. Um, you can go to either of those publications to follow along as more counties pass their these resolutions. If you are in a county uh, where Republicans control the majority of the county, you should be reaching out To your officials, and you should be asking them to pass this resolution. In fact, um, I would really encourage you to do that because it will show them uh, that their citizens actually care. Um, And I can tell you that I'll be sending this on to a couple of my county commissioners to encourage them. To do so as well. Um, It is something we should really appreciate because at the same time, you're actually having uh, Harris County, which is a majority Democrat county as of this 2018 election, by a 3-2 vote passed a other resolution calling for universal background checks, calling for legislation that requires universal background checks, and actually cited Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick in that. And so we've had uh, Senator Bob Hall and a number of other Second Amendment activists and strong conservatives on the program. In fact, uh, this goes back to a conversation that Jonathan Stickland and Matt Rinaldi and I had several months ago, where we just discussed the identity crisis that's going on with the Republican Party and the fact that our lieutenant governor and governor both have made statements that uh, really support increased background checks and moving toward more gun control, really picking up talking points of the left when it comes to their stances on the Second Amendment. And this is just another good example of why our local officials matter. It's a really good example too in the fact that honestly the people that are closest to the citizenry being those local county officials seem to be much more responsive to the cries of grassroots conservative Republicans than do state elected officials. And so um, hopefully this can kind of go from the bottom up and can continue to point our officials in the right direction back to where the Republican Party platform stands on this issue. Uh, When Harris County passed its call for universal background checks and more gun control, they cited the support, the vocal support that Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has given to that issue. And so our hope is that um, Republicans in Texas unite around the Second Amendment and can unite against more gun control because we know that gun control is not going to solve the problem of evil existing in our society. I can guarantee you this though, it will make it harder for the law abiding citizens to practice, to participate in the practice and exercise of their second amendment rights. And that will lead to less freedom in our society. And it will, by the way, if you want to look at the government's that kill the most citizens, look at those that disarm their citizens first. Okay. It's just the reality that we live in. So when it comes to the second amendment issue, again, follow Aaron Anderson, follow Daniel Friend. You can follow them on Twitter. You can follow the publications of the tech scorecard and the Texan. They're just doing a lot of reporting as these different counties come out. And I think they're um, definitely a uh, uh, organization, you know, publications worth following. The other story, I wanted to bring to you was the one of baby Tinsley. And um, honestly, this is the case in Fort Worth where Cook's Children's Hospital in Fort Worth tried to end the life, uh, remove life-saving treatment from a small little nine-month-old girl. And of course, this hits close to home because I've got a a seven-and-a-half-week-old son at home and I've got a a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. But at the end of the day, you had a child who was responsive who could move and make sounds. And I mean, this is from talking to multiple people close to the situation. And a hospital that decided they wanted to remove her from life support. And they wanted her life to come to an end. Now, by the way, this child is still alive today. Okay, so I want to just recognize the fact that if this... Uh, if this hospital had had its way, this child would no longer be with us. Her soul, her life would not be present on this earth. And a uh, brave and strong judge, Alex Kim, stood up and uh, passed a temporary restraining order on the hospital and said, you cannot remove life support from this child and has set a hearing to hear that case. Cook's Children has responded uh, by asking Alex Kim to recuse himself because he is a pro-life judge. You heard that. Yes, that's correct. Cooks Children's Hospital wants Alex Kim to remove himself from deciding whether or not they can kill this little girl because he's a pro-life judge, because he's been endorsed by pro-life groups. And they've gone so far as to ask all those groups to show exactly what kind of contact they had with this judge. They even wanted, all the way back to 2017, any conversations he'd had about his election and the campaign and anything like that. This is absurd that we have a hospital in the state of Texas that is saying that any judge that has been endorsed by a pro-life group cannot rule on a case where somebody's life is at stake. It really uh, is going to be a story that I want each and every one of you to follow. And um, Sarah McConnell has a great story up at the Texan as well, but you can go and follow that in more detail, Texas Right to Life also is honestly the source of the information, texasrighttolife.com. You can go there and you can follow each and every step. Attorney General Paxton has recently come out in favor of baby Tinsley against Cook's children. Um, A number of other lawmakers, Tony Tinderholt and Tam Parker, were present in the hospital uh, and there on the day that Cook's was trying to remove life support. So there've just been a lot of different people that have stood up and stood strong on this issue. Uh, Here's the reality we have in Texas, Uh, something called a 10-day rule, which we've talked about a little bit on this program, but I want to remind each and every one of you what that is. A hospital can come to you and say that they have had an ethics panel that has convened and determined that the life, your life is not worth keeping. And so due to the fact that even if you were to survive, your quality of life would not be one worth living, they're going to remove life-sustaining treatment. And so they're going to remove you from life support. And you have 10 days. In 10 days, we will remove you. There's a lot of details that we can go into. But but at the end of the day, you have to understand that Texas is one of the worst states when it comes to our laws regarding the end-of-life treatment and care of our citizens, whether it be the nine-month-old child or the 90-year-old child. Now, I'm just going to set that aside real quick. I'll tell you just my overall view. I think that society would do much better, okay, our elderly, and I hope this like applies to me as I get a little older, if we knew when it was time to pass. Everyone's going to die. It's probably a good thing for each and every one of us to remember. And so at some point in my life, I hope I am not that person who is 90 or 93 or 95 or 96, and I'm going to force our medical system to put millions of dollars into me just to keep me alive for another six months or three months. And I also hope that I've lived a life and poured into the people around me to such that I'm at peace with leaving. And I also hope and pray for all of you that you actually have a relationship and know the God who created you because life on here is very short and life after your window here on earth is very long. And so your understanding of eternity matters a whole heck of a lot more uh, when it comes to what's going to happen for the rest of all of time. And so uh, some people can't And and that's just something we have to start to deal with as a society. As modern medicine can keep us alive longer and longer and longer, yes, I want you to all have healthy and long lives here. But I also want there to be a time, a point in time, in which you're okay letting go. But here's what's interesting, though. You and your family should decide when that is, not a hospital ethics panel, okay? I don't care. Whether you should or shouldn't let go, and it's not up for me to decide, and it's not up to the hospital ethics panel to decide. It's up to you and your loved ones. If you have a do not resuscitate order on you, you've decided, if I go into cardiac arrest, I don't want to be brought back. Good for you, okay? If you're 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever, great. If you don't, if you say, I want to be resuscitated, that hospital better dang well resuscitate you, and that's just the reality. So that's all I have to say on this situation, but texasrighttolife.com, thetexan.news, you can go there and follow this along. Please continue to follow this. And it is Thanksgiving. In fact, it's technically after Thanksgiving when I'm recording this, but it was Thanksgiving just several days ago. And so I wanted to close this with just a reminder that we have much to be thankful for. And I'm actually gonna play a little game. I'm gonna uh, play Name This Thanksgiving Proclamation President. Okay, now I don't know how to participate with y'all. But if you did get it right, you can email me, um, uh, and, and, and through LukeMassias.com, send a message and, uh, and I will give you credit for getting this right. Um, I wouldn't have got it right if I didn't know, but anyways, I'm going to read now. Now, just so y'all know, uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, George Washington had a Thanksgiving proclamation that he passed. And then there was a time in the, There was a time in the 1700s that Congress asked for presidents to pass Thanksgiving proclamations on an annual basis, Um, but then it wasn't until several, I guess, decades later that Abraham Lincoln actually issued a Thanksgiving proclamation, okay? And, uh, And he issued his Thanksgiving proclamation, his first one, and then after that, every single year after, presidents have issued Thanksgiving proclamations, okay? It's happened every single year since Abraham Lincoln started that tradition. And then in like 1941, I think some historian out there can, you know, fact check me and and tell me I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. In 1941, Congress passed uh, their declaration saying, this is indeed, we are going to have Thanksgiving on this Thursday in this November of every year, okay? So that's how it worked. But once Abraham Lincoln started it, proclamations have been released ever since then. So I'm going to read this proclamation, which I agree with quite a bit, and uh, and then you will know who it's from. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation. In 1621, Massachusetts Bay Governor William Bradford invited members of the neighboring uh, Indian tribe to join the pilgrims It says the name of the tribe there, but I can't remember it from like my seventh grade class. My mom would be ashamed, but Wampanoag tribe, I think y'all can, I'm sorry if I butchered that name. William Bradford invited members of the neighboring Wampanoag tribe to join the pilgrims as they celebrated their first harvest in a new land. This three-day festival brought people together to delight in the richness of the earth and to give praise for their new friendships and progress. More than three hundred years later, the tradition inspired by that gathering continues on Thanksgiving Day across America. A holiday that united unites citizens from every culture, race, and background in common thanks for the gifts we receive from God. As we pause to reflect on the events of the past year, we recognize anew our nation's many and wonderful blessings. We are deeply grateful for the abundance that keeps America strong and prosperous, for our freedoms and for the freedom spreading to people all over the world. For the new hope of peace in regions where people have suffered much but are working toward reconciliation. For the 50 years of international cooperation that have followed the end of World War II and especially for the generosity and love that united our nation after the tragedy in Oklahoma City. Let us open our hearts to the grace that makes all good things possible and acknowledge God's care for our world. Let us each take time to offer thanks for the bounty of our own lives and for the relatives and friends that gather with us to share food and companionship on this special day. We give praise for the relationships that sustain us in our families, churches, schools, and communities. We voice our appreciation for the satisfaction of work and the joys of leisure. And most of all, we give thanks for the children that enrich our lives and remind us daily that we are the stewards of the earth and all its possibilities this cherished season all also calls us to look forward to the challenges that lie before us as the individuals and as a country. With God's help, we can shoulder our responsibilities so that future generations will inherit the wealth of opportunities we now enjoy. In everything we do, we must plan for the Thanksgivings to come and continue our efforts to build an America where everyone has a place at the table and a fair share in our nation's harvest. Now, Therefore, I, William J. Clinton, President of the United States of America, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Constitution and laws of the United States, do hereby proclaim Thursday, November twenty-third, 1995, as a national day of Thanksgiving. This year, my family gathered. Every other year, we gather with my mother's mother's side of the family. That's my Grammy. She has three siblings, and they've all been married for over 50 years years, which is a testimony of family. And uh, and so we get together every other Thanksgiving with more or less almost everybody on that side of the family. Every now and then a couple people can't make it. That's just part of life. Um, but I think this year was 80 people. And so anybody who was on Twitter, will see. I posted a couple pictures from that time, our circle of prayer and our time together. Um, Thanksgiving is an amazing time, especially for me. And I think I'm probably blessed. uh, I'm I'm overly blessed in the relationships I have with my family, both my immediate family and my extended family. And so for those of you who were able to practice and enjoy that time, I uh, rejoice with you. For those of you who didn't, for those of you who either just aren't very close to your family, or uh, for those of you who are in a place where you're not able to spend as much time with them. I just hope that you found peace and joy within a time of Thanksgiving but I also hope that you realize that you could start this. Um, you know this family that I am part of, uh, this particular family that I gather with Thanksgiving uh, really stemmed from a father and a mother who instilled in their four children, an understanding of the importance of family. And that goes into just how they raised them and um, and the, the things they modeled and the time they spent and how they built into them. And I don't think that my great-grandfather and mother, if they were to look down, would have been able to um, anticipate or even predict that this strong a bond would continue to exist. But I do think that they would be blessed by it. And so even if you do not have an amazing family, I would encourage you to have a multi-generational perspective on how you could start today by building into your own family so that four generations later, 80 or 90 of your, uh, you know, of all those that come after you uh, could gather together and celebrate an amazing Thanksgiving. And I hope and pray that in the next three or four generations, we are still celebrating Thanksgiving. Because even such a thing as Thanksgiving is absolutely certain to be under attack before this generation ends its time. And so the question is, again, going back to my... Favorite quote that I have, I guess it's my like quote for the last couple months, but it's that quote from Lord of the Rings, right, where uh, Frodo tells Gandalf, I wish I hadn't been born in such a time. And then Gandalf says, oh, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times, but it's not for them to decide. All that is for them to decide is what they are to do with the time they're given. I hope that during your Thanksgiving break, you took advantage of the time you were given to be rested and ready For the fight that lies ahead, because the Lone Star State will certainly be at the center of that continual fight. God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Luke Messias Show. If you value this content and want our message to spread, please consider three of the following steps one, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave us a review. Two, visit lukemessias.com and sign up for our email alerts. And three, follow Raz and I on Twitter and visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Luke Macias, Texas. Thank you so much and God bless.